You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, with all of our body, soul, and spirit, we declare that that's true, that you have invited us to be your your kids, your children, your sons and daughters. And we say thank you. We thank you for your mercy and grace. And we thank you that uh, one of the, the realities is now that we're part of a family. We're part of the Mission Creek family. We're part of the, the family of God here in Kelowna. And we're part of a worldwide church that today over 2 billion people on this planet are saying the same thing. And we declare you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune God, uh, the creator of all things, and our Lord and our Savior. Thank you. And uh, Lord, today, uh, we pray, speaking of the, the churches of our city, would you bless each one? Lord, thank you for our brothers and sisters in other places. May you reveal yourself, and would you continue to be at work through them? And oh, Lord, uh, realize that whenever we gather together, th- we step out of so many situations, some very difficult, some very painful, some which seem very desperate. And I pray this morning, oh God, you know exactly uh, each one of those, uh, you know each one of us, you know what we're stepping out of. So we pray for your strength, we pray for your grace, we pray for a sense of your presence refreshed and anew today. And Lord, as we walk together as a church family, help us not only to be aware of our own needs, but those around us. So give us fresh eyes to see uh, those around us this morning. And oh Lord, now I pray, oh God, would you illuminate your word? And I pray, oh Lord, for a fresh feeling of your spirit. So thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Invite you to have a seat. A beautiful lookout spot, a place that gets up us up high so that we can look out on the world. I'm sure every one of us have a favorite spot for that. Uh, here in Kelowna, it might be going up Knox Mountain and looking out over the city. Or for you skiers or mountain bikers, a big white on a clear day to get up high and to be able to see over the city. There's something about getting up and getting out to be able to see the big picture. It's so powerful, it's so awesome. When uh, Ruth Ann and I lived in, uh, in Calgary, we loved to go to the mountains. And we had a, some friends that we would go to. And we loved hiking. We loved getting up to the, the summits. And uh, I, can, I can remember just that, that, that feeling. Well, actually about halfway up, uh, the, the hike, I had often wondered to myself, why am I doing this? I could be home having my second cappuccino of the morning, but I digress. But there's something about eventually arriving at the top that's awe-inspiring. And I think we've all had that sense of just a hush descends upon us 
as we see the incredible beauty around us. And, and like David, we say, the heavens declare the glory of God. And there's also a sense of seeing in a fresh way the bigger picture. It's a reorienting experience that I think all of us have had. Jesus invites us to come up and come out with him, to once again see the bigger picture, the bigger picture of God, the bigger picture of ourselves, the bigger picture of life and what is happening in the day-to-day. For these past weeks, we've been exploring the parables of the kingdom, where Jesus invites us to get away and live into a new way of life, life to the full with him. Last week, Pastor Keith um, uh, explored what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And we want to continue that theme this morning with a very specific question. What does it look like to follow Jesus? So let's go to Scripture together. Three passages from the Gospel of Mark. They'll be up on the screen, or you can follow along. Mark chapter 1 says this, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Mark chapter 2. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, and we see the list of names there the Word of God to us. In each one of these episodes, Jesus repeats almost the same words, the same invitation, come, follow me. And he repeats that same invitation to each one of us this morning, come, follow me. Amy, come, follow me. Chris, come, follow me. Rick, come, follow me. So what does that look like that invitation to follow Jesus today. Well, let's go back to the first century and understand and see and encounter what that would have meant, what their understanding for the 12 as they heard those words of Jesus. So we need to go back a little bit into the culture and some of the things that were happening at the time. People saw Jesus as a rabbi a Jewish teacher. In fact, he's called rabbi over 16 times in the Gospels. 
a rabbi would travel around accompanied by his disciples. It was a very common practice during that day. Now, a little bit about the Jewish educational system. There were three levels, and most people would just go to level one. So level one is if you're a child, you would go up to about uh, 12 years old, and you would learn writing, arithmetic, uh, and reading, writing, and arithmetic, the three R's, and memorize the Torah. That's right, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you would memorize every word. And at 12 years of age, you would finish and off to work or get married or enter into the things of that culture. That was it. For a few, they would go on to level two. And level two, from about 12 years old to about 15 years old, the only thing they would do was memorize the rest of the Old Testament. Okay? So in my Bible, it's about that thick, every single word. And then level three, which very few, very few became part of, for those who showed ability, they would be invited by a rabbi to follow him. They would become what was called a Talmudin, a disciple. In our day, kind of like an apprentice. Very few got that invitation. And the rabbi would say, when he's extended the invitation, come, follow me. And so, when uh, the 12 heard that invitation of Jesus, they got it that they were being invited to become a Talmudin, a disciple of Jesus, and follow him around. A Talmudin would know very clearly that the words, come follow me, was an invitation by the rabbi to follow him around and do four things. To be with the rabbi, to become like the rabbi, to join in what the rabbi was doing, and to do this together with others. To be with the rabbi, literally follow the rabbi around, to be with him 24-7, every hour, every day to work with him, to eat with him, uh, to sleep in the same place, to never leave the rabbi. A blessing of the day was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And so there's this picture as you walked around in the dusty area, you were so close that the dust from him would fall on you. Mark in chapter 3 says, so that they might be with him. The 12 were with with their rabbi. Be with the rabbi. Also become like the rabbi. A Talmudin, a disciple, was to become like the rabbi in every way. To follow him around, to adopt the same tone of voice, mannerisms, a way of talking, way of relating, way of eating, way of walking around, way of teaching, everything to become like the rabbi. And the goal of the Talmudin was themselves would become a rabbi. And that one day they would become a rabbi exactly like the rabbi that they followed. Another figure of speech during that time was a fisher of men was often a nickname for a rabbi. 
because through his teaching in his life, he would capture people's hearts and minds for God. And so when Jesus, for example, said to Peter, come, I'll make you a fisher of men, Peter would understand, ah, I'm being invited to be a disciple, to be a Talmudin, with one day myself becoming a rabbi as well. It also meant that a disciple would join what the rabbi was doing, not only to be with the disciple, to become, be with the rabbi, become like the rabbi, but also to join in what the rabbi was doing. And so uh, a disciple would walk, walk around, uh, would begin over time to also do some teaching and ministering and serving. Over time, more responsibility and authority to join in the ministry of the rabbi. It's interesting that Mark in chapter 3 once again mentions that Jesus had them be with him and that he would give them authority. And so once again, this model that we see that was happening at the time. So to be with the rabbi, to become like the rabbi, and to join in what the rabbi was doing, and finally, to do that together with others. A rabbi never had one disciple, always in a group, always a group of other Talmudin. Usually six to 12 people would follow a rabbi around. Jesus called 12 to be with him. And in chapter three, we saw that it was a very diverse group of people that would walk together, live together, work together, and gradually become like their rabbi together. Jesus' words we read in Mark, uh, come follow me, would be loud and clear to the 12. Come be with me, become like me, join in what I'm doing, and do that together with the rest. The Talmudines calling their job description was really clear. Fast forward to the 21st century. We don't have Talmudines. We don't have rabbis. Uh, I've never seen a rabbi walking around Kelowna with a little group of six to 12 people following him around. If you see one, please take a picture and let me know. That'd be kind of cool. But it's generally not a practice of our day. The closest equivalent we have today is an apprentice. Now, I know some of you have gone through an apprenticeship program. I know some of you are apprentices right now. I was, I was talking to another uh, apprentice, Matt LaHaye, one of our young adults. Uh, he's on the, on the Mexico uh, trip. And in, in, his, um, in his case, he's an apprentice plumber. So part of his preparation is to join with other plumbers, be part of a plumbing com company, and uh, to work with plumbers that have more experience so that he can watch and observe and do things and learn from them and, and talk about the trade of being a plumber with the idea that he will become a full plumber one day. Now, those of you who have been apprentice or are apprentice right now, you're probably thinking, oh my goodness, I'm glad I don't have to do that 24-7 like a Talmudin does Thankfully, that's not the case nowadays. But being an apprentice 
is a way that helps us understand Jesus' invitation to follow him this morning. So to be an apprentice of Jesus is a lifetime journey of reorienting our life around three, uh, sorry, four very simple goals. To be with Jesus, to become increasingly like Jesus, to join Jesus in what he's doing, and to do that together with a group of others. So what does that look like? Let's unpack that together. To be with Jesus. Jesus invites us to be with him, to walk with him, to hang out with him. Okay, I know that quickly in our minds we think to ourselves, yes, but the disciples were physically with him. He was tangible. They could see him. He walked around with them. However, on April 30th, 2023, Jesus is invisible. He's not as tangible. Yes, he's present, but it's different. It's different, isn't it? Yes. However, Jesus says something very, very important. And John chapter 16, verse 7 says this, But very truly I tell you, it is good for you that I'm going away. Unless I go away, that the advocate will not come to you, the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. In the context, Jesus is in the upper room, part of giving us the Lord's Supper. He was preparing his disciples for his departure, that he would no longer be physically present with them. The advocate is one of the terms of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that now lives in you if you are a follower of Jesus. For the 12, Jesus was physically, tangibly present, yes, but he was only at one place at one time. If Jesus was in one spot and they were in another, that means they were not present to Jesus. Today, it's different. In the eternal plan of God, God's desire was that after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, that the Father and the Son would send Holy Spirit to indwell each follower like he does each one of us that are followers of Jesus this morning. And the Holy Spirit bring the presence of Jesus to us spiritually in each disciple and you and I. And that's why Jesus says that it's good that I'm going away, that no longer is Jesus limited to just one spot, but he can be present in each one of us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go somewhere or someplace, or do we ever have to fear that we won't be in a place that he's not present? He is there. Jesus is always present to us. Our challenge is that we're not always present to Jesus. Our lifetime journey is cultivating a growing awareness and attentiveness to Jesus 24-7. I love the words of uh, Dallas Willard. It says this, The first and foremost thing we can and must do is to keep Jesus before our minds. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to Him. 
In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. I struggle with that. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass compass constantly returns to the north. Do you love that picture as a compass constantly returns to the north? Jesus in John 15 says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Stay connected with me. So practically, what, what's involved? What, what does this involve? Well, among other things, it de- developing various ways of creating space for God. First and foremost, that looks like, of course, setting aside time for prayer and scripture. Of course, that's always going to be heart and center. But it's also learning to cultivate his presence as we walk through the day, of learning ways of returning to God and talking with him and bringing him in to whatever is happening. It often involves learning to slow down, learning to pay more attention, learning to develop attentiveness to him, living into the practice of the presence of God. Well, let's move on to become like Jesus. As apprentice, we are invited to become increasingly like a rabbi, like Jesus, to be like him. I love the words of, of, of God in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, and Eugene Peterson just expresses it in a way that I think grabs us. It says this, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same li- lines as the life of his son, Jesus. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. God shaping us to be more and more like Jesus. Our character, our actions, our inner world, more like Jesus, more like Jesus if he were living our life in our particular circumstances. It's gradual, it's progressive, it often feels very slow, and it often looks different depending on whatever season that God has us in. Concretely, what, concretely, what, what does that look like? Well, it's not just behavior modification. It's not just like becoming a nice person. It certainly isn't becoming a religious person. Many people grow up in a context in which defines what a Christian should look like or not look like, do or not do, dress like or not dress like. Jesus isn't talking about those things. Yes, our behavior is important, of course, but what Jesus really desires is to begin to work on our heart and our desires and our mind in our inner world and change us from the inside out 
And as that change from the inside out happens, that flows into our behavior. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, for out of the heart comes, comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, all that stuff that can be floating around in the inside. Jesus longs to be invited into that and begin to transform us. In Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit puts it more positively, more concretely of the invitations of what God longs to do in the inner part of our being becoming. And so the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Wow, don't we want to become that kind of person? Love, a lifelong process of becoming more loving, being less angry, less grumpy. I want to be like that. Joy of a sense of inner contentness despite whatever happens, whatever happens to be happening in my outer world. Peace that despite things that can make me feel anxious and afraid, an increasing sense of stability in the core of my being. All is well and will be well. Patience, less rushed, less hurried. I could go on. Jesus was like that in his inner world. Jesus was like that in his relationships. Don't we long to enter into that process and to continue in that process ourselves? That's the inner world of where Jesus lived, and his behavior flowed out of that. And the Gospels show a lot of details of Jesus' life, that he was hungry, that he was thirsty, that there were times that he needed to withdraw to be with Father, that he walked by the strength and power of Holy Spirit. There are times like we saw in the Garden of Gethsemane in which he wrestled, and he shows us how to love and how to live. Friends, be encouraged, not disheartened. This is a lifelong process, and it's not on our own power. We can't do it alone. However, God invites us to cooperate with him. John 15, once again, says, I'm the vine, you are the branch. It's separated from me. You can't do anything. So our life is a connectedness for, for that. And so our invitation is it's learning lifelong dependence upon God. It's been said that without God, I can't, we can't. Without me, without us, God won't. Without me, uh, without God, I can't. Without me, God won't. And so this invitation to live intentionally and dependently upon God. Oh, let's move on. To join in what Jesus is doing. So what did Jesus do? What do we see Jesus doing in the Gospels? Well, a number of things. This is just a partial list. We see that he enters into what he sees the Father doing. The responds and list, uh, does that over response and listening. He influences people. He shares the good news. He frees people from oppression. He shares the scripture. He prays for the sick. He eats and spends time with those who are not yet part of the kingdom. He's a peacemaker. He promotes justice. He prays and many other things. 
And yes, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. And yet, he did all of those things in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And so we too, as we increasingly enter into all that God has for us, we enter into those things as well of listening and paying attention to what God is doing around us and to enter in, to influence people, to share the good news, to free people from oppression, to share the scripture, to pray for the sick, to eat and spend time with those who are not yet part of the kingdom, being a peacemaker and promoting justice and praying. That's part of entering in and joining him. You know, the disciples, the Talmudim, they, they walked around with Jesus and as they went through their day, they just connected in different ways. And so you and I were in families, we're in jobs, we're at school, we're on the pickleball court, we have neighbors, we have celebrations. Those are the places in which we follow Jesus into, and there's always something more happening than we know. He invites us to enter into that to join him in what he's doing in each of those situations. To be with Jesus, become like Jesus, to join Jesus when he's doing, and finally, to do that together. Following Jesus is not a one-to-one -one experience. It's not about us and God. Oh, yes, certainly that has an aspect to it. But God puts us in groups. God puts us with others, and we need others. We need to be with others in order to follow him. And often that's hard. That's challenging, quite frankly. Think about the 12, okay, in this random group of people that Jesus puts together. You have this opposite spectrum of a person like Matthew who would probably always be um, viewed as a traitor, one who was a tax collector for the despised Romans, hated, hated by his people in terms of what he did. And then on the other end was Simon the Zealot, who was a revolutionary, who the Romans would have called a terrorist, a member of ISIS of his day. And this group of people were put together to walk together, to learn together, to sharpen one another and follow Jesus and enter into what Jesus has for one another. And that's why we're put together. Often with people that we wouldn't naturally choose to be a part of. And often it's those people that we need the most. And yes, a big gathering like this is really important. God does many things in us as we join together. But we also need smaller groups of people, ideally from 6 to 12. And as you know, in Mission Creek, one of the things that that looks like is our circles. And so we have various circles, sometimes 6 to 12 people, sometimes a little bit more. The purpose of gathering together, studying God's Word, praying together, doing life together, being vulnerable together, walking together. And so uh, we have um, different geographic areas. Sometimes we have very small groups of people getting together. We have 
group of men on Wednesday night. We have women's uh, groups that meet at certain uh, different times, um, Wednesday morning, Wednesday evening. Uh, we have for, for those who are um, 55 and older, uh, Oasis, Oasis for those who are our um, uh, older uh, generation. And so there are a couple Bible studies on uh, Wednesday morning, and there are other times of connecting of the Oasis group. The point being that these are examples of groups joining together, of walking with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, to join in what Jesus is doing, and to do that together. Jesus says to us, come follow me. Be my apprentice. Be with me. Become like me. Join what I'm doing together. Who in, has uh, ran a marathon? Don't worry, this will have relevance. Who has ever, okay, I actually see, all right, way to go. Any other marathoners? Okay, awesome, good. Okay, if you haven't seen probably like two or three of us, way to go. The rest of us, no. Okay, we haven't read a marathon. No, imagine that um, at the end of our time, uh, Pastor Chris gets up and he invites every one of us to come back to the building at five o'clock so we can go and run a marathon together. That means run 20, over 26 miles or 42 Ks around Kelowna. So imagine what's gonna happen. Well, at five o'clock, there might not be a lot of us present. You know, we might all of a sudden get a text from Aunt Ethel that's actually visiting Kelowna today and, oh, sick, we're not able to be here at five. Well, for those of us who might show up at five o'clock, um, we, and, and maybe Alicia will, would be one of those people, you can ask her if he shows up there, Chris. Okay, you can imagine what's gonna happen, okay? I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I'm not a runner. So maybe we would start off and some of us can do three kilometers and collapse on the pavement. Other of us, maybe two kilometers and collapse or one kilometer or get it as far, get as far as Tim Hortons at Orchard Park and conveniently stop there. You can't run a marathon right away. What does it take? It takes intentional, gradual, progressive training, apprenticeship to run a little bit further and a little bit harder with more stamina. And that's one of the pictures of following Jesus. Jesus doesn't expect us to run a marathon, but he does invite us to take the next step. And this morning, as we've been intentional about focusing on what's the bottom line, what are the core things about following Jesus, I'd like to invite us to take a couple moments of quietness and ask Jesus a question, a question around this invitation to be with him, become like him, to join in what he's doing together with others. And the question is this, Jesus, what is the next step you are inviting me into. Jesus, what is the next step that you're inviting me into? So let's just pause. If you want to close your eyes, 
and then I will continue on. What's this quiet? Jesus, what is the next step that you're inviting me into?